was narrowing my focus, my focus with what I was gonna do and how I was gonna help kids. And I knew I was gonna be a child psychologist. Um, how was I gonna have a voice, or how was I going to help them? And Steve Prefontaine taught me that what I was gonna do was have a voice for them. That was my job. That's Melissa Pistono. And this is the Rain Studios Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Rain Studios for episode two with Melissa Pistono. Um, a dear friend of mine that I met out here um, in Bend actually, but she does call Eugene her second home or her real home. Uh, So Melissa was born in Chicago and made her way out to the U of O um, for grad school and really became um, herself. And part of that story is is told in in her podcast interviews. So, um, So Melissa is a child psychologist and a trauma specialist. And she worked here in Eugene at the OSLC, the Oregon Social Learning Center, uh, for quite some time. Really exceptional place. Um, details on that will be in the show notes. Um, but yeah, just really honored to have her on the show. There like wasn't a minute really where one of us wasn't kind of tearing up and and really with with just passion, like her. Um, she's she's very authentic. She's very honest, and um, she's really not afraid to so, to sort of tell all. So um, yeah, without further ado, I give you Melissa Pistono. I guess such a great place to start is just your your original inspiration, which was when you were seven. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, Danny, next door. Poor Danny. Let me know what you want me to say, or let me know how much you want me to tell you again. (laughs) No, I think, well, um, yeah, so, well, Melissa and I are friends for our guests. (laughs) Melissa and I are friends, so we have talked about these things um, before, but I think, well, I think what's kind of neat is that this style of interview like we're both growing like you said yesterday you know like I'm gonna learn every time and you know hopefully my guests also learn from our conversation you know and so um and so I feel like when you know when our hearts are open and when we're available it's like even this conversation could be like a pivotal moment for change you know, uh-huh. um, so that's why, like, you know, some of my inspirational podcasts, the ones that I listen to and what we talked about with Damien earlier, um, they say like, get back to that place, Yeah. get back to that place when you were like six or seven and where, you know, where were you? What were you? Like I was running around, you know, in, uh, in a nature preserve in Florida by myself like talking to little mice and you know (laughs) that was what I was doing and um and I I had my first job at a at a wildlife refuge and I was like super young and you know bottle feeding raccoons and stuff like little baby birds yeah so that's where I was but you were in a much more challenging environment 
Yeah, my my home life was good. Yeah. But. Um, and we were in Chicago. Right. What, what part of Chicago? Um, north, well, um, Erie Street, if that, for anybody out there who knows uh-huh. Chicago. They'll know. <laughs> um, and we lived in an apartment. And so I was, like little kids, I had some little friends, and mm-hmm. I was a um, couple doors down playing with Debbie. I was playing with Debbie. I wasn't playing with her sister, but I was playing with Debbie, and <clears throat> they have, it was another family with, you know, four kids. Um, so two brothers, two boys, two girls. And... Their dad came home. It was close to dinner time mm-hmm. um, on this particular day, and he came home. And I, at this point, I can't remember if it, how long he had been there. You know, I was busy playing. Mm. I was just being a little girl, and but soon it took a really negative turn. Um, their dad, and I'm not gonna. His name is George. Um, <laughs> Get their last name. Sure. He got really violent with the oldest son, and he was slapping this kid around, and punching him, and at one point, and how that old was, is the oldest kid? He was probably five or seven. He was nine. Wow. Yeah, and he, at one point, he. Um, picked this boy up and he threw him headfirst into a wall. And at that point, I was frightened. Yeah. And I just, whatever, however gracefully or ungracefully I did it, I said I had it to go. I had to go home. Mm-hmm. And I was walking home, and I I remember thinking, parents shouldn't be able to do that to their kids. This is. That's exactly what I said to myself. Parents mm-hmm. should not be able to do that to kids. Yeah. So I'm um, I'm not a spring chicken. I'm 60 years old. So <laughs> back then, there was no child services. Mm-hmm. You didn't pick up the phone and call somebody and say, this guy's beating up his kid, and they come and investigate and mm-hmm. you know rescue kids or whatever. Right, and repercussions or yeah. anything. <laughs> but I'm walking home. And I get home, and I walk in the door, and my mom is in the kitchen, and I blurt out, I hate Mr. So-and-so. Mm-hmm. And my mom says, we don't hate anybody. Mm-hmm. And I said, you don't hate anybody, but I hate Mr. So-and-so. Mm-hmm. Did you tell her what happened? Well, she said, wait, okay, <laughs> what's going on? Um, and... It's probably important to note that both my parents are immigrants. Definitely. Um, and your mom is from? England. My father from Italy. Right. Um, they weren't... It was my sense, although I will tell you, I, I can't remember anybody saying this, but um, that, you know, they just were like, we... we that's their family mm-hmm. type thing. Um, so... Didn't want to cause a stir. Yeah. Yeah. Type thing. And again, I later in life I remember somebody saying um, that you know 
we need to let them handle their life type thing. Sure. But anyway, I, my mom said so at, for this particular instance. She said, I said, he beats up Danny. Danny's a kid. He's a big guy. I don't, I hate him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's I'm hard. Again, it's yeah. still hard. Like, what, 50 years later? Yeah. yeah. It's hard. It's really hard. So unfair. Yeah. Your parents are supposed to love you and protect you. Yeah. It was yeah. a huge betrayal. Yeah. So, um... Actually, you know what? At that point, my mom did say something like, um, "Well, we don't we don't hate people. Um, we and but we can't interfere or something mm -hmm. like that. Some statement like that. I'm sure if I took a couple minutes, I would remember yeah. exactly what she said because it was a impactful time. Definitely." Right, and she's trying to protect you in a way with those words, you know, and and trying to protect herself in a way with those words. I think she, yeah, protection might be a way to describe it. I think she was trying to explain that we didn't have a role. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um... <clears throat> So what I will say, though, is as she, she made that we, we, we don't interfere in other people's family. Mm -hmm. it, however, she said that, but that, that was the message. Mm -hmm. And I just went to my room. I was really upset. Very upset. <laughs> now, what I will tell you is that she did interfere. No. Ah. <laughs> however... Mm -hmm. It didn't look like interfering mm. because what we ended up doing or what she ended up doing, my mom loved to play board games and cards. Mm -hmm. She ended up making sure that Danny was at my house mm. playing games every day when his dad got home. Wow. That's amazing. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> setting a different boundary with the tools that she had, you know, which yeah. is really, that's amazing. Yeah. To this day, I hate Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Monopoly. Oh, it's <sighs> so dreadfully long. <laughs> yeah. I don't want your stinking hotel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, I love Melissa, by the way. She brings me to tears every time I talk to her, <laughs> but it's like, tears that my heart grow. My heart grows in size every time I spend time with you. So um, it's such an honor to have Melissa with us today. Yeah. And Mickey, her rescue, which we'll get to. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, That's we, did, amazing. we spent the summer pretty much in that way, whether, whether Danny was in the house <laughs> Um, playing Monopoly with us, <laughs> cards or whatever, and beating us, you know, mm -hmm. all the time. Um, yeah, or, <clears throat> you know, um, he's the same age as my brother, so if my brother was hanging around, um, 
they might go do something too. But it was pretty much set up that on a regular basis, he was out of harm's way mm -hmm. when his father got home. And um, Right, but you can't have every kid in Chicago over to your house to play Monopoly, can you? <laughs> no. So Melissa had to, do, had to take another route. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, it was, again, it was at that time that I thought, I just, people shouldn't be able to do that to kids. And mm. that was sort of the seed. Yeah. Yeah, that was the seed. Um, so, after that, uh, I, you know, I kind of just, kids had always been my thing. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't recognize it until later. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was the local number one choice babysitter mm -hmm. for whatever reason. You know, mm -hmm. I, you know, I just, I like kids. And yeah. so it was, it was, uh, I got to play with them. And I have a younger sister. Mm -hmm. And she and I are best friends in the whole world. Mm -hmm. Um, so <clears throat> playing with little kids was really fun, even to this day. Yes. It's something that I enjoy. Um, yeah. I'm sure people think that's kind of odd, but, you know, it brings me joy, and I have a lot to offer them as far as reminding them that they're important right. and have a place. And... Yeah, and the way you speak to them is, is she's like a child whisperer, as she is a dog whisperer and animal whisperer. And... <laughs> A lot of deep whispering Melissa does with you know. vulnerable populations. Vulnerable. So as I grew up, um, I was pretty in in, in socially. I was pretty vulnerable myself mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. Um, as my mom would tell me, gosh, when I was like fifty. She said, you know, I always knew you were going to be sensitive, Melissa, but I didn't know how sensitive. <laughs> I was like, well, you should have warned me. Maybe I could have developed a thick skin or something. <laughs> I think uh, the best thing about you is your sensitivity. So, and, and that sensitivity ended up being what guided me to yeah. working with vulnerable populations. Um, yeah. Initially... I knew kids would be on the radar mm -hmm. and because they were so innocent and so um, taken advantage of in many ways. You can't grow up in a big city and, and, you know, even back when I grew up, it was, you know, it's really pretty Shangri-La. I mean, you ran around the streets and you played and all that. Mm -hmm. and you still see bad stuff and, and you hear bad stuff. So. Mm -hmm. Um, but as I got older, and I'm rambling, I apologize. No, this is great. Um, as I got older, I really, I'm going to go back to that same family. Yeah. Um, although I never witnessed George hurt the other kids, the girls, or the, his youngest son, mm -hmm. he was really, really cruel. Mm -hmm. Verbally? To, yes. Yeah. To his wife. Mm. And that really 
hit me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was one time I, um, um, <clears throat> when my father came home from work and he yelled at my mom. And I just, I felt like, you know, once again, there are ways that we talk to people and, you know, that's not one of them. Yeah. I mean, um, I was not a kid who got spanked. Um, my mother was one of those people who, if my father said no, and I was one of those kids who said, why not? <laughs> <laughs> my mother would say, you know, I'm, I'm the fourth of five, so I had lots of practice watching <laughs> other kids grow up. Um, my mother would say, okay, Pete, we have to to talk, you know, and I'm sure they would come up with a strategy, but that was, mm-hmm. you know, my mom was that kind of person. So, yeah. um, I, it was hard for me if my, my father, like, said that. Yeah. And I was probably 14 at the time, and I looked at him, and I said, you can't talk to her like that. Mm. That isn't helpful. Or, nice. And. So despite being, um sensitive you definitely you could speak your mind within my family yeah yeah I could say that I could say things like that no you know I um I remember thinking that this could be trouble for me sure Um, but it was worth it It yes yeah absolutely yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. and I took that with me yeah through life yeah, definitely. You know, I wouldn't stand up and uh, yell at the person who was littering, even though I have a real problem with that. But <laughs> yeah, I did that. <laughs> but you smack your kid. Yeah. And I might be really nice about it. Mm-hmm. And I have an instance of that, but you would know yeah. that I witnessed that you hit your kid, mm-hmm. and it's not okay. Right. And there's a better way to handle this. Certainly. And if you want to talk about it, I'm right here. Right. Well, and that's, yeah, you you give permission for for another way. You know, like, you don't necessarily discipline with discipline. No. Right. And I think that that's a really big... That's when I when I observe you with children or with animals, like that's what I notice, and that's what I have taken, you know, as a parent from you, is that is I mean when I first met Melissa, she was telling me about like respecting children and yes. treating them as equals, and and I definitely come from a family where that was you know it was a very fear based, um, very patriarchal family um, model. So you know even at the age of like. 30 or 31, however old I was when I was first introduced to you, like, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, and I'm holding my, like, three-month-old baby, and I was like, I'm going to treat him equally with respect. Um, so cool, even yeah. as an infant, you know, yes. and, and it's interesting. I hear a lot of people say, like, oh, you know, he's not going to remember that. Oh, yes, he will. Oh, yes, he will. Exactly. So Planting seeds. Planting seeds. And so Melissa is a, she is a trauma specialist. And so I would love to, um, I know, see, we're having the, 
we had the privilege of staying with Melissa for a couple of nights. And um, so we shared breakfast this morning, and we were we have already touched on some of this actually this morning. So I feel like a little redundant for us, but for those listening, they have no idea. So I'd love to hear about um, about your athletic journey side by side with your scholastic journey because they they are very parallel lines. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I come from a really good family. Um my my siblings and my parents are good people. Mm-hmm. And I'm nothing like them except that I would say that I think I'm a good person. Yeah. Um so I was very anxious as a teenager to move on mm-hmm. and I knew I <clears throat> I clearly had no intention of growing up getting married having babies mm-hmm. I knew that that was not going to be my path mm-hmm. didn't mean that I wouldn't get married and, and have babies later but mm-hmm. I knew that my path it was my belief that the only way I would get out of where I was in that in the mindset in the social setting was to go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, my family um, explained on several occasions that they didn't have the financial whereabouts to send me to college, mm-hmm. and so there was a time when I sort of gave up on that notion. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, um, through, as, as life does, mm-hmm. I, I met people and had circumstances come into my life that changed my life, and college was back on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Can and, you tell us that story again? Sure. Great. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I, I thought for sure I was going to be the next Nadia Komenich. I was just going to be this incredible um, gymnast. And I was really in love with uh, floor dance, you know, floor X. And I just, you know, and I was pretty good, had good rhythm and all that stuff. <laughs> anyway, um, in hindsight, I will tell you I was not good enough to meet the, make the Olympic team. But, you know, I had dreams. Yeah. Um, and as part of that, I was, um, part of a gymnastics team, and one day I fell off the balance beam Mm. and dislocated my left hip. And how old are you at this point? Uh, 15. Oh, wow. Okay. And I, you know, literally I had like the perfect body to be. A gymnast. Right. Yeah, see, this morning I was like, wait, I thought you were six nine, or five, I thought you were five nine. Melissa is very slight, very long, and lean, and very strong. Um, but yeah, I mean, your frame makes you appear to be inches taller than you say you are five six, which I don't even believe you. But. Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, and I could... Sinewy, long and lean. I was light on my feet, mm-hmm. and I mean, I could... I, I was, it was, and it was a joy. Mm. So that was, that was nice. Right. And that's always clear to the, to the commentator or to the, the spectators and to the judges. It's very clear yeah. when the heart it was, is. It was really a joy. Mm-hmm. My least favorite 
apparatus was the balance beam. <laughs> so, of course, I fell off the balance beam, dislocated my hip, and I got up. I was like, I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> and the next morning when I got up and could barely walk and literally was dragging my left leg to the school bus, got to school, and um, the PE, my PE teacher said, um, there's something not right here. Yeah. And she called my mom, and they took me to the emergency room via ambulance. And I was very upset. Mm. Um, I was in pain. Mm -hmm. um, but I also didn't want to be broken. Yeah. I got there, and my doctor, who was, at the time, he's passed away since, but he was the sweetest man, just mm. sweet, sweet, sweet. And he comes in, and he says, oh, Melissa. He's, Greek man, why are we? Why are you here today? And I very rudely said, "I don't know. Ask these guys." <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, they they fixed me up and sent me on my journey. But as I was leaving, the orthopedist said that I would never be a gymnast again. Mm. And I took him for his word and spiraled down for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, it was an outlet for me. I, um, but uh, also they said that I needed to do some strengthening for this hip flexor, that all that muscle needed to get stronger. And they recommended a couple of things, one of which was running. <laughs> and I, uh, at the time I was a really painfully shy person, but my brother was on the track team, so I thought, okay, I could do this. And wait, what's the word that you used to describe yourself again? That I had not heard of? And you were like, I had buck teeth and I was I was homely. Homely. Oh my gosh. Homely. I have to I look I have to look that word up. I don't oh, know that. Goodness. Homely. Yeah, long, stringy, straggly hair that didn't look like I hadn't combed it in the last like three this. days <laughs> that I had, you know, and buck teeth and no figure. I mean, no breasts. I was just, you know, this little girl looked like a boy. Anyway. <laughs> little girl. See, if you had been in uh, in your father's immigrant land, they probably would have accepted you right on to the runway in Milan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except I wasn't tall enough. But right. Anyway. Right. Um, so there, I get to the track team. Of course, my brother, who's older, is like, "Oh my God, she's my little sister. You didn't want to have anything to do with me." <laughs> um. But I found my niche. Mm -hmm. I I'm not a good sprinter. I don't have that muscle mass, but I am good distance runner. Mm -hmm. And I turns out I was really good at it. And mm -hmm. that was a fun thing to discover. Because um, I'd always been, oh, I mean, I was just certain that I was going to go to college on a scholarship for gymnastics. And mm. when that was taken away, then um wasn't even thinking academics. So, um, but there I was. I was doing running and, and succeeding at it mm -hmm. and enjoying it. Like but I it turns out, I mean, you were an excellent academic student as well. It turns out, yes. And you didn't view yourself that way, but you were. No, I, I didn't view most of anything I did as excellent. Right. Um, um, I... I knew that I got good grades. Mm -hmm. I didn't. It 
didn't translate into helping me in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had the good fortune to meet another individual, John Katzel. Mm-hmm. And I met him because he was my younger sister's teacher. Right, yeah. Incredible man. Um, he made the decision to create a classroom that was third, fourth, and fifth grade students that were troubled kids. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was his philosophy that they help each other, and they did. It was just incredible. So um, uh, I had met him when my sister was in his class. She had moved on from his class, but we'd had a, a good connection, and he invited me to come and help him be like a teacher's aide type thing. Mm-hmm. And I was in an upperclassman in high school, so I qualified to get out of school early. Had to go to school really early, but mm-hmm. I got out early, and I would ride to the to the grade school and help out with reading and and art classes. I remember John saying. I don't do art. <laughs> so I can do art. Um, and it was an incredible thing because each one of these kids had trauma in their life. Yeah. And that was evident to you. Mm. Oh, and it impacted their lives in great ways, especially noticeable in school. Yeah. So, there was this one little guy, Herman. It was so clear that his dad beat the crap out of him every day. Clear and bruising, clear and, yeah. And he just, he didn't talk, Mm. you know. John did really great things with these kids. Um, As an academic, he helped them to feel comfortable mm-hmm. and he helped them to learn to like themselves better mm-hmm. outside of the classroom he uh, he was um, an outdoorsman mm-hmm. he really opened up that part of me that I didn't even know I had um, and we would take kids on hikes on the weekends um, get permission from their parents and we'd yeah. take them out there and you know he had to drive an hour to get someplace to take them, you know, so, you know, all kinds of liability, if you think about it today. Sure, outside of Chicago. Yeah, wow. you had to put them in, he put them in his little Volkswagen van. <laughs> and we, Cute. And we, yeah, it was adorable. And we'd all go, you know, we'd do hikes, and there was little Miss Mary. She was this teeny tiny, like, fairy-like little girl. Mm. Um... They were great kids. They were wonderful kids, and and they did. His his theory that the bigger kids would help the younger kids, and in turn, their self esteem would get greater, was so right on, so spot on. And he did this for years. Mm -hmm. He was allowed to have this um, 
classroom unlike any classroom in the district. That's amazing. Yes. That's really, really You know, I really think about cool. things back then. How did he get that okay? But mm -hmm. he did. And he did. He did. And I, the other thing was, he had a couch in his room, his classroom. Uh. I just thought that was so cool. <laughs> today, today, it's like not a big deal, I'm sure. But, yeah. You know, and we would, um, we would sit on the couch, and I remember reading them. Um, let's see. Today, if I was going to do it, we'd be reading the Harry Potter books. But back then, it was Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. You know, and can you imagine the eyes on these kids it was like whoa it's so cool Tolkien was one of one of the things that we read to them anyway yeah. we're listening to we have the audiobooks and like we listen to them around bedtime at our yeah. house it's so awesome isn't it oh awesome? my god I mean the movies are incredible but the books yeah and you know we talked about how Tolkien created this language for those mm-hmm you know what what kind of writer is that it inspires kids, you know. It, it, he just isn't a writer. He was creative. Yeah. And, um, he created a whole world. Right. And multiple languages, right? I mean, yes. Like Elvish and that. Well, and we were talking um, this morning too about um, imagination, right? And how that's like a part of the healing process for definitely trauma. Right. There are many therapies out there that. Music, which is mm -hmm. obviously a very creative one, art therapy, mm -hmm. those types of things tap into different parts of the brain, different parts of the heart and soul. Mm -hmm. And I find, and research finds, mm -hmm. need to throw in their research. Definitely. That um, children respond to different things. So what might be a key, a door opener for this child who experienced whatever trauma they experienced it is going to be different from this one. Definitely. And so in working with kids, part of getting to know them is getting to see where, what is going to open their door for them what is going to close more doors for them. Right, so you work with, like, triggers versus, yeah, and healing then, modes. And then putting them where mm -hmm. they're best served. Yeah, um, and that takes time and consideration for individuals, which is... And patience. So much And patience. wanting... And letting go of your ego that you have the answer. Mm. You know, probably... I... <clears throat> Probably my best skills came from interviewing kids, whether it was in a research setting or a legal setting, mm -hmm. and interviewing them in a way that they, and it takes time, mm -hmm. they can let down their guard. Mm -hmm. So that you actually have some clue as to how to best help them. Yeah. Um, well, and so we'll take a second there to talk about, to go through. So you're, so you graduated high school, you went to college in Chicago, Chicago. and then you made your way out to the U of O. Yes, I did. And Eugene, Oregon, which is where yes. we both proudly call home, I'll just say that. We are in Bend. 
um, for this interview because life has brought Melissa out to Bend. But um, so yeah, so let's take off in Eugene. So what I would tell so you got to Eugene. What I would tell everybody <laughs> is that I was born and raised in Chicago, but I grew up in Eugene. Right. Um, and despite what your parents said about not being able to go to college, you. I was able to get there. You got um, there. Oh, and it was the help of? John Katzel. Yes. yes. So the man with the incredible... Classroom. Classroom. Yeah. I I just remember him... We were sitting in his car one day. I was always the last one to be dropped off after we'd finish a hike or whatever we had done with little kids. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, he's like, so you know, what colleges are you applying to? I said, oh, I can't go to college. My parents can't afford it. Uh, <laughs> wait a minute here. <laughs> What's your GPA? What's your SATs? Mm-hmm. And I was like, he goes, somebody out there is going to pay you to go to school with at their school. And I was like, really? You think? <laughs> Honest? And mm-hmm. um, he was right. Yeah. So I did well, get a He saw so much. He saw you for who you were, you know, and for everything that you were capable of. Which is really amazing when I look back at it because I was a frightened kid. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. I was looking. I fit in with kids. Mm-hmm. And that's where I wanted to be. Yeah. Something I should... I'm going to take a a step back. Yeah, please do. When I realized, or when I had this belief that the only way I was going to move on from where I was Mm -hmm. was college. Mm -hmm. I used to lay in bed at night and put myself to sleep dreaming of auditoriums with kids and listening to a professor. <laughs> That's awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, and there I was. I remember my first auditorium. <laughs> You're like, I made it. Yes. yes. And of course, <laughs> I remember getting there thinking, well, it's much lighter in this room than I thought it would be. <laughs> Can we dim this thing? Yeah. This isn't like my image, but anyway. I, so at some level, because of the way that I think and process the world, I was setting my path. Yeah. I didn't realize it. Though. Totally, which is so cool. You were like, you were literally manifesting your future. That's right. So cool. But I didn't have people around me that, spoke in those terms or even thought in those terms of course and so I didn't fit in right so I fit in with little kids yeah because, because their imaginations yes, are yes they're so open they manifest know? and and if we don't cut them off mm. from that mm-hmm. energy they manifest oh, so what you're telling me is that I'm gonna swim with whales you're giving me permission. Yeah. I'm going to. Yes. I'm going to get there. Yes. That's what I was laying in bed dreaming about when I was little. Yeah. Yeah. I still do. 
Yeah. 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 gives permission, which is another reason why I love her so much. And I will say that until this moment, mm-hmm. well, I <clears throat> held on to my dreams. Yeah. I and I they would just be reruns, 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 and that was okay with me because I was going to get there. Yeah. I was going to do it however I was going to do it. So did you get the athletic scholarship or the academic or both or uh, I got academic. Nice. So um but and you I went were, to, and I you went were to a small I went to a small uh, school in Chicago mm-hmm. and you know it wasn't really an athletic setting. Mm-hmm. It was an academic setting. Okay. And so I was able to run for them mm-hmm. um, and do okay, actually. You yeah. Know, I made some points. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Can you talk about the training regimen a little bit? So when you, you said goodbye to gymnastics yeah, and the door opened for running and you ran, chased your gazelle-like brother. Oh, my brother. <laughs> who was 6'3". Yeah. <laughs> you know, like as I described for you, just tall and legs up to you know, my chest and just legs that never ending. And he would run. You look seriously like an Ethiopian. Mm-hmm. And and then, as I said to you earlier, and then he'd get done and he'd have a cigarette. Mm. And I would think, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you have this talent. You have this. This will take you wherever you want to go. And, you know, and I, this little five-foot-four thing out there. But I was, you know, I, I had... Staying power. Yes. So I, I'm a distance runner. Stamina. And I am really not successful at um, sprinting. Yeah. Um, so w- later in life, um, one of my heroes it became Steve Prefontaine. Yes. And he is a true hero of mine, not just on the running front, but what I really liked about him on the running front was um, he had staying power, mm. um, and he could he could go the distance. Yeah. And I later, as I when I came to Oregon and got to know more and more about this man, he really was my hero. Mm-hmm. Um. So <clears throat> we're gonna segue into. You know, or we're going to backtrack. When I was little, I saw Danny get beat up, and I walked away going, parents shouldn't be able to do that to kids. And I was developing my voice for how I was going to to say that, and again, I was very shy. Mm-hmm. Um, then I came to Oregon, and I, one of my heroes, I got there after Steve Prefontaine had even passed, but mm. learned a lot about him, and... He was a rebel and a renegade, and he stood up for athletes in a way that no one ever had. Mm-hmm. And he talked about the injustices that he saw with the Olympic Committee, and he took on the Olympic Committee, and mm. and I was inspired by that that bravery, that commitment that is fearless that you know it it, it's going to cost me and i don't care yeah attitude Mm -hmm. and it um in some ways for a while it did cost him Mm -hmm. i mean 
as we said, they they sent him to venues to run in that he, were not going to help him on his path mm-hmm. in um, his running career, and um, and he spoke out about that too, and and yeah. he just he shed light on stuff, and I was starting my. Um, uh, I was starting my. I was narrowing my focus, my focus with what I was going to do and how I was going to help kids, and I knew I was going to be a child psychologist. Um, how was I going to have a voice, or how was I going to help them? And Steve Prefontaine taught me that what I was going to do was have a voice for them. That was my job. Yeah. Still is. And I take it very seriously. Yeah. Uh, so I went to the U of O. Can you tell them what happened when you got off the plane? Oh, I love this. <laughs> okay. So I come from, uh, what do you call it? Uh, conservative Chicago. <laughs> conservative parents. Right. Although... Not as conservative as other people around them, uh, given that they were <laughs> this mismatched couple, mm. England and Italian. And mm-hmm. um, uh, I got off, <laughs> I got off the plane, and if you've ever been to Eugene, Oregon, it's. I landed in San Francisco. I got on this little puddle jumper mm-hmm. that flew up to Eugene, Oregon. It lands on the tarmac. They put the little stairs down and you get out and you walk. You, outside. You walk outside <laughs> to the terminal. Yes. And I was like, ooh, yeah. we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this is so, so cool. cool. And I arrived in September. Oh. So it was still nice in Eugene. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was very nice in Eugene. And I'm like, okay. All right, this is like so different. And I walked into the terminal and I'm, you know, I'm looking around and the first thing I really notice are two women kissing. <laughs> and and, and they're, they're lesbian women and they're kissing and I was like, oh, I'm home. I made it. And I'm not a lesbian, but what I thought was, I made it to some place where people are allowed to be who they are. Mm-hmm. They get to be themselves. Permission. Yeah, it's the city of permission. It's amazing. That's why we call it home. I love it there. Mm-hmm. And they, they are very wise in that community. Mm-hmm. Um, and very open and I and I just thrived. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Chicago and I grew up in Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> Became who you are. Yeah. I really did. sprouted your wings yeah. there. Yeah. And so that was days before your twenty first birthday. Yep. yep. Did you behave yourself on your twenty first birthday? I did. I didn't <laughs> I didn't really know it. Well, so here's so here, you know, the I tried to paint the picture. I'm really this um, somewhat petite person mm-hmm. and I'm leaving Chicago and I'm getting on a plane to go to Oregon and I get to Oregon and I realize oh 
I've been accepted to the University of Oregon graduate program, and I don't have a place to live. No way. Yes way. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes way. I did not know that. <laughs> You're like, here I am. Yeah. I don't have a home, but whatever. Yeah. That's amazing. You were so free. And I, I was like, okay, well, hmm, I guess I'll go stay in a hotel, and I'll find an apartment or something. Yeah. So my whole undergrad was, I lived in the dorm. Right. So, you know, I was like, okay, I'll do that. And I am arriving two weeks before school. There is nothing. There nothing. is no place to live. Nothing available. I'm, I can't even believe that you I, did that. I know, I know. I know. Well, <clears throat> so... She's not perfect. I just <laughs> learned. <laughs> um, did you forget or, like, you didn't care? That is so funny. That is so uncharacteristic of you, I feel like. But maybe not. Um, the way I think of it is this. I had the picture, and the details come later. Oh, love it. Thank you. And that, that has been a theme in my life for all of my life. Mm -hmm. I had the picture, and I pursued the picture, and the details came later. And it all worked out, obviously. I... Um, it's very feminine energy, and I like it. I went and stayed at the New Oregon Hotel, mm. right across the street from the university. Yeah. And uh, for all of those listeners out there um, who don't know this, people in the Midwest pronounce many of the words in Oregon wrong, including <laughs> the, the name of the state. They call it Oregon. Right. <laughs> and so I was had been practicing. Mm -hmm. All the way back in Chicago, I'm like, Oregon, 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 Oregon. I get it right. Mm -hmm. And it's and the word Eugene is pronounced Eugene in right. Chicago. So uh, I've been practicing. <laughs> I'm staying at this hotel, and, I, and I, I'm looking through the, the um, rental ads, and I can't find anything and <laughs> all this stuff. It um, is a college town. It is like for anyone who has not been to Eugene or, I mean, it is like, and it's amazing, the, the living and the greenery and just, and, yes. and, and it's in the, the Willamette Valley. So it's just, you know, when you fly into that little puddle, puddle jumper airplane, in the plane to the little airport, you're in the valley and yes. it's all green pasture surrounded by mountains. I mean, it's, it's epic yes. and quaint at the same time, yeah. but so then the neighborhood that, Melissa is describing around the university, I mean, you would be, today, I mean, I, I don't, it's one of the hardest places to find a place to live, right. rent-wise. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a very high demand, so. Yeah. So, um, I've been doing my, my homework, and mm. then I wanted a break, so I thought, you know, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go hike the river. You know, Perfect. it's right there. It's right there. And... Oh, by the way, when I got off the plane, I had um, I'd packed all my stuff in Chicago and left it there. I'd come with my backpack, and I had um, my my with a framed backpack with mm. my sleeping bag, and the sleeping bag was missing. Oh, that was I was like, hmm, not happy about that. <laughs> but we can make this work. Mm -hmm. um, so I go to the front desk. I make this decision that I have earned an opportunity to go for a walk and see where I'm going to live mm -hmm. on the ground. And 
I get to the front desk. Remember, I've been practicing how to say things. <laughs> I get to the front desk and I say to the man at the front desk, can you tell me how to get to the Willa Willamette River? Oh. And he says, oh, you mean the Willamette? Oh, and you I forgot went, one. Darn. <laughs> Darn. it out. Yeah, I'm not from here. The Willamette. I know. <laughs> and, uh, and he just, he was very kind. And I went for my hike and came back and, um, I made some comment, once again, to a um, complete stranger, mm -hmm. and their suggestion was to go to the student union, mm -hmm. and it's called the EMU on uh, campus, and there's um, a board for people looking for roommates. Perfect. Yeah! I thought, yeah, and I don't know anybody, this is going to be great. Yeah. So I went there, and sure enough, um, I did... Um, there was this big board, and I took all these numbers and all that. In the meantime, I got a call back from a place that said they had a place to rent me, but it would be ready for six weeks. Mm. I was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> put me on your list, mm -hmm. okay? And um, then I got a phone call from somebody that wanted a roommate, and she said, well, I'm really sorry, you know, you're welcome to stay here, but I can't. It would be subletting, and my other roommate will be back in six weeks. And I said, done. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Isn't done. that amazing? And I had to live way far from campus for that six weeks. Um, and But, you know, I walked, because that's how I got around mm -hmm. when I first got there. I walked every day, and I got to see the city, mm -hmm. parts of the city that I would not have seen if I hadn't stayed with Mary Jane. Uh -huh. and, Isn't uh, that funny? She Mary had two Jane. little boys, Aww. two little towhead boys who were just beautiful. Perfect. And um, I, she, it, so all of this came about because you asked if I behaved on my birthday. Yes. <laughs> um, she took me to the coast Aww. on my birthday because she had a car. Whoa. And we had um, chocolate eclair. And then we came back to town. Her brother was in a band that was playing in Springfield. And we went there and I had my, uh, I had a glass of white wine. Your very first? Um, no. I, yeah. <laughs> no. She's an Italian. Yeah, my first. But my first publicly. <laughs> uh, so that that That's was how awesome. I spent my birthday, and then school started a week later, and um, another situation of just finding the right person at the right time, and, mm -hmm. and um, ended up dating that man who was the perfect person at the right time, and, mm -hmm. um, and that was, and I loved camp, I loved school, mm -hmm. they had the most wonderful Department Humanistic Psychology. Wow. I'm surprised I didn't go that way. Huh. I'm surprised. Yeah. Um, except, I mean, I, I, I was thinking that's the way I'm going to go. And they were having some inner conflict with one of the professors there, and it kind of got phased out. Mm. The, so when I arrived, the University of Oregon um, was struggling in had some internal struggles. They had a great reputation around uh, in the field of psychology, and part of that was that they 
were having these inner struggles and for high standards and mm-hmm. that was greatly appreciated on my part because I at first was thinking that I was going to be a college professor. Oh. And so you needed to have something on your resume that said that you didn't go to some little podunk school. And, right. Yeah. Right. Of course, that went by the wayside when I worked with little kids on internships. I was like, nah. Can't yeah. Do that. Can't do that. So. Plus, I hated uh, all the writing. I mean, oh, I hated that so I, there was much. the uh, requirement. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, when I have something to say, I'm going to write it. <laughs> but until then. Yeah. But, you know, to be a professor, it's really about research and writing. And, yeah. And I totally respect them. Absolutely. They, they are uh, people that. It deserve our respect because they uncover so much for us to use out in the field. Yeah, so. the field. So let's get to the field. Um. <clears throat> well, so in between all there, I got married. <gasps> Another field, which, by the way, I had a dream that you were flying me last night. Ah. Oh. Isn't that, and we were landing on grass airstrips. That is amazing. Yeah, so Melissa is a pilot among. Private pilot. Private pilot. Yeah, little little <laughs> jumpers. But still, I mean, yeah. it's such a cool thing. Okay, yeah, so you get married, sorry. I get married, and mm-hmm. I am immediately um, a mom. Right. because An instant mom. He has um, three kids, and they live with him. Mm-hmm. And it was an interesting transition. The oldest son um, was the apple of daddy's eye mm-hmm. and had a hard time accepting me. Mm-hmm. And he picture. was how old at that time? When I met them, he was probably eight. Okay. And the youngest was three. The youngest was three. Right. And... They were really fun. Um, kids are always fun, though. Mm-hmm. Um, then, I'm not sure how much you want me to go into that part of my life. It, so, what I will say is that there was trauma there. Yeah. Um, I sort of danced around that. In my pursuit, I realized that, there, that women were really... Um, not treated very well in our society and many societies. Let's let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I wasn't going to exclude them in my studies. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did a lot of work with domestic violence victims. Mm. I didn't ever anticipate that I would be one of them, mm-hmm. and I was. Mm. Um, I had a sense that my former husband was um, very (laughs) narrow-minded. And that his kids could use a little help. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be a stretch to say that Part of my purpose in being with him was to be with them. Right. How quickly did you realize that? How quickly did I admit it? 
<laughs> there is a great Isn't difference. that interesting? <laughs> there right. is a um, yes. Grand Canyon divide between those two terms. Good point. Um, I guess it doesn't even matter. No. You know? No, it doesn't. I, I stuck it out. Yeah. When the old, when the youngest turned 18 and chose to move to Portland to be with his biological mom and attend school up there, I left. 15 years? Yeah. Wow. A um, couple of times, it was a rocky relationship, and there were times when I was kicked out, and there were times when I was, I left. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the day, the time that I finally left, um, my former husband wasn't happy about that decision. Right. And I was stalked mm. for a good 18 months. On one occasion, he showed up at my house when I was having a party, wielding, and he was wielding a gun. Wow. And, um, friends called the police, and he was arrested. Wow. And that angered him even more. Hmm. And there I was. Um, the police called me in advance, and they said, he's going to make bail. He'll be out of here in two hours. You mm. have someplace safe to go. Wow. And I said yes. And I went with, I went with a friend. Wow. Um, to hide out. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. To hide out. Uh, came back the next day, and he'd stolen my car. <laughs> <laughs> what did he need your car for? That was just like a... A, a little a little power move? Yeah, I think so. Well. Yeah, and because his <laughs> name was on the the title as well, uh, I, there was nothing I could do. Oh, wow. So he was like, I'm taking my car back. What yeah. a sweet guy. Yeah. So, um, now, um, I don't, I haven't run into him very often. Um, I dreaded the day I would run into him. Mm-hmm. Um. Um, I did hear through mutual friends that my stepdaughter Kimberly got married and, uh, or was getting married and I knew that I couldn't go because it would, there was the potential of trouble Mm. and it was her wedding day. That's that's hard. Um, so I should also mention here that you know, after all this time of being divorced and looking back, I wasn't the best stepmom. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I look back at it now and I did the best that I could. Mm-hmm. I will give myself that kind of credit. Yeah. But I was treading water. Yeah. I, it didn't take long, <clears throat> as is, as you will learn about domestic violence, it didn't take long for me to be reduced to about this big Mm. in my own mind. Right. And so... Did you witness 
domestic domestic violence prior to your marriage or was it um, was it like after you were married then the true colors were shown oh they're very charismatic mm-hmm. and he he has such charisma yeah um i didn't his first wife mm-hmm. had stories mm-hmm. and he had his stories mm. and they met in the middle, in all honesty, that, you know, always the truth is somewhere in the middle there. Sure. And, and, um, but he, it was, a, it was a rocky relationship, and like I said, I, sometimes I was thrown out, and sometimes I left, and mm-hmm. uh, um, was pursued to come back, and, and I did. I yeah. came back and um, went through that the cycle and it is a cycle and if anybody's interested um look it up there is it's definitely a cycle there's the honeymoon phase and then there's um the not so nice phase and then there's the the heavy-handed phase whether that includes verbal financial physical abuse and then you leave and then it all starts all over over again and i i experienced it all yeah. yeah, I experienced it many times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned to stand up for me. Because it wasn't something that was in my nature. Right. I really was out there fighting for everybody else, for whether it was a dog at the Humane Society or... Mm-hmm. Or, uh, or Danny, you know, yeah. Yeah, you know, it was like, oh my gosh, I have to stand up for me. Mm-hmm. And I was able to do that not before all the children were gone and safe. Right. Wow. I couldn't do it. So, um, I was drawn by that needing to know that they were safe and my ego got in the way thinking that I was the one that could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end, years later, I have had opportunities to talk with two of the kids, mm-hmm. um, not the oldest, who mm-hmm. really struggled with me being in his life. Well, a little bit him too, but um, to say give my apologies about not being the best stepmom and, mm-hmm. you know, come clean about growing up myself mm-hmm. and having my own insecurities and how that made me incapable of always being an adult with them and, and uh, you know, the things you think about. One day, I, here's an example. One time I was very careful with my words and mm-hmm. I was in the car with my stepdaughter and she was just rad, 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 rad. <laughs> and I said, you are acting like such a bitch. <laughs> and she said, did you just call me a bitch? Oh. And I said, no, I said, you're acting like one. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, that really hurt my feelings. And I said, well, that wasn't my purpose, but you need to, you're hurting my feelings, mm-hmm. you know? And it was like, okay, where are we? Because, you know, I'm 
hanging on by a thread here. Mm -hmm. And I could lose this. Yeah. And I remember that one because it got me to thinking back how many times did I lose it? Mm -hmm. Did I not play the adult? Mm -hmm. Was was I the one who needed the help and unable to provide the help? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and there were many. And parenting, there is no science to parenting. No. And and I feel like as long as as long as you're trying your hardest, you know. And I mean, we just none of us are perfect. And oh my God, no, I, yeah. I wasn't. And you know, and I. But believed that I should have been better of all people. Mm -hmm. But that's I cool. So you spoke to them and yeah. and you like sort of made amends. Kimberly, well, Baron. I can, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll go. <laughs> um, he he was just so cool with everything. Mm -hmm. You know, he was the youngest, mm -hmm. um, and he was so little. When I came in, I was his mom. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he grew to know his biological mom to his credit. Mm -hmm. Didn't have to do that, you know. Right. Um, but we always had a special bond, and mm -hmm. it was great for me. Again, and you know, I think about how selfish that was, but we had fun. Mm -hmm. He and I had great fun, and uh, I. I spent a lot of time being really disappointed mm -hmm. that I wasn't a good role model for Kimberly. Mm -hmm. I mean, she watched the my victimization. Mm -hmm. She watched me go and come back. Mm -hmm. So when I had my chance to talk to her, not only was... I'm not the best, the step-parent that she deserved. Mm -hmm. But I didn't model healthy relationship behavior either, and I'm sorry about that. Right, but it's kind of like, in a way you did because you stayed, you know, it's, it's, it's such an interesting thing because on the one hand, you did a great job. You did the best job you could. And, uh, you know, and then from another angle or from another lens, you know, like... You should have left, you know, and it's like, how can you really, can you really say that one of those is better than the other? I don't, I just don't know. Like, yeah. I think that, and I think what you, that your honesty about it, your ability to look back and say like, look, these are the mistakes that I made. What well, we really had some great times and you guys played such a, a key role in my life. And like, I just hope that I played a key, right, key role in yours and you know, that I'm still year even if you ever need yeah. anything you know yeah. like and that key role had some positives you know I definitely don't, you know uh, there were times that Kimberly and I had a really great time and, of course you know and and um and there were times when it was really hard so uh, I I got a lot of as you can imagine I got a I got a lot of I don't have to listen to you you're not my mother right you're not my real mom, whatever yeah. that means. And, uh, <sighs> so it's worth noting. Actually, it's it's important to mm -hmm. know the trauma that these kids had. Mm -hmm. um, 
um, their mother accused their father of sexually assaulting these kids. Wow. It was an incredibly ugly trial. And oh my God, it was a trial. went on the stand, all but the little one. Oh my God. You were there. No, I read the transcripts. Fast forward, law school. Ah. But I didn't make the connection till just now. What? Oh my God. Wow. She, I, I will never know the truth about what went on behind the curtain. But the allegations were, um, touching daddy in a public place, the female, uh -huh. um, also Cannon, but also the older son. I won't put names um, I mean, lots of inappropriate touching and... In public? In a public bathroom when they were in a stall. And, and I mean, that one, that one always stood out to me, but there's other allegations in the... Hmm. And then, and then, um, hearing my former husband's side about how they were brainwashed by, um, a third year law student to say these things happened to them on the stand and, um, and then, um, and then talk about dad's anatomy. Wow. Genitalia. Yeah. Because there's a, a significant uh, observable got it. Uh, piece. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, these kids were little. When they went <laughs> on the tr on trial. Was this before you? Mm -hmm. Oh. Before you arrived in the picture, this mm -hmm. whole thing happened. And you found out mm -hmm. during... Uh, courtship. During courtship. During courtship. So you're hearing his side and like sort of consoling him and being like, how can this happen? Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And... Um, to think of what I was just going to say. I'm sorry I lost that thought. No, okay. um, It'll come to you. But it was... So these guys... Oh, and then and then in as a part of all of this... Um, so the parents are separated and this... All this nastiness is happening. And... There was supposed to be some time together for Ron and the kids, and knowing Eugene, it had to have been supervised, but I'm trying to remember mm -hmm. if I ever read that part. She kidnaps the kids and the takes them. The biological mom. Yeah, and takes them away. Oh, my God. And he was then later given sole custody. Yes. My. Wow. Yes. 
I mean, all these things that happen in the middle of this, it is, it is so, it is Danny Stanley all over again. Mm -hmm. um, and then you didn't have your mom to tell you, we're just going to play Monopoly. I guess that's what you did, though. You played Monopoly. I made sure that mm -hmm. they were at my house. Yeah. Every time Dad came home. Wow. <sighs> That's amazing. Yeah. <sighs> There's a lot that I probably still need to unravel about this, but... Yeah. Well, we'll we're going to have multiple volumes of yeah, our this, meeting podcast, yeah. so... There's a lot to unravel there. Yeah. Um, but... Um, there's a lot of trauma that happens to kids that is overt mm -hmm. that an outsider <laughs> says that's gotta be scary mm -hmm. and then there's a lot of trauma that happens behind closed doors mm -hmm. That only the child knows. Mm -hmm. And there are cues. Um, our complication is that children's behaviors can indicate a couple of different things. So it's our job to understand, to, to dig, mm -hmm. and to understand... You know, what does this behavior mean? What is this? What are you trying to tell me for mm -hmm. the world? Um, my sense is that my former husband's first wife misread the cues. Mm. Mm -hmm. But they planted seeds in these kids' heads of being traumatized in that sexual manner. For sure. How could it not? Oh, my God, and having to go on trial, like having that just snowball in that sense, it's... Yeah, to sit up in a witness stand. Oh, my God, I can't even imagine. In a time before the courts got smart mm -hmm. about... Not re-traumatizing kids. Right. Right, not even thinking about the repercussions of that. Right. You know, trying so hard to get to the bottom of this one issue and not recognizing that during that process is re-traumatizing or uh, really a whole new set of trauma being introduced. In this case, a whole new set. A whole new set. Um, yeah. 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 Um, wow. You know. So that so, so I'm sitting in a seminar all these years later wow. after divorce, mm. and we're talking when there are probably eight of us in this seminar, and we're talking about um, interviewing kids that have experienced trauma and how painful that can be, mm. and um, and how the justice system really doesn't have a clue. And I sit there and I went, you know, one of us has to go to law school <sighs> and teach them. Yeah. And Jennifer looks at me and says, yeah, <laughs> one of us should go to law school. 
and I petitioned to take um, a domestic violence class in the law school and got in. <laughs> it, and there's a the um, law schools are um, you know pretty much separate from standard university. The it may mm -hmm. be at that university, but it. It's its own thing. It's its own thing. So, you know, its own financial institution. And so totally. there are steps. And yeah. I get it. I get that. Um, and because I wasn't, wasn't asking to take core courses, I mm -hmm. didn't have to have an LSAT or anything like mm -hmm. that. So I was, I was sort of golden to take that class. Cool. Um, I heard later that nobody anticipated that I would do well in that class because I wasn't a law student. Wow. <laughs> and, um, but Gee. I did well. Yeah. I did well. Um, and I, I think probably a golden moment in that experience was you're sitting there with law students and they're very analytical and and they have they really have drummed into them this um, time elements, you know, time is money. Um, mm -hmm. And I no judgment from me. That is how it goes, and um, and so the concept of wading through the client's emotions mm -hmm. is foreign. Mm. Um, and put a child on the stand, and that's really foreign. Mm -hmm. So my. <clears throat> opportunity in this class because domestic violence isn't limited to a wife or a female or, or an adult partner sure domestic violence is anyone everybody in, in that fam in that circle yeah unit my my crowning moment was when you know I, I got to sit on a panel and somebody made some comment and I said so what did the child think they're like, well, we don't know. And I said, mm. does that matter? Because mm. if you know what they're thinking, you can ask questions to get there. Yeah. And you'll know how to ask that question to get there. Mm. And they, again, I just got this strange look. And I said, oh, so think about this, I said. Mm. In many cases... Kids who come before the court have been interviewed by some children's services person. Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the of the organization in Eugene. Can't remember what it is, but I volunteered there. It's terrible. <laughs> um, but there, they have a forensic interview. Mm -hmm. It is it is as clean as it can be. Mm -hmm. No leading questions, no humming and hawing, just but kindness and patience mm -hmm. and softness. And you may not get anything for three interviews. You may realize after five interviews there's nothing to get. Mm -hmm. I mean, but it's important that it is the right kind of interview with a child. And this is an age group from... Like basically three to sixteen. Sixteen. Mm -hmm. Right. So and and maybe the picture of this just you know for our listener like 
you're in a room with a child and I mean and it's there's toys it's hard to even ask you know a child if it's scared if a child is scared and you ask them if they're hungry they're gonna say no every time if they're scared mm-hmm and so you move on. And so you move on. And you just say, you know, would you like to hold this bear? Mm-hmm. You know, would you like, tell me about this. Let's play this. You really need to get their confidence. You really need to help them feel safe. Oh, my gosh, because they aren't, haven't been safe, whether it's real or imagined. Right. And, and both of those are real. Are real. Both of those are real. So... So, uh, so I'm explaining to this class, I said, you think about the fact that somebody has taken the time to unravel this mm-hmm. so that, you, unfortunately, this can actually even be in a court. And you approach them the way that you just did. You've shut every door that was just opened. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're the defense, that's good for you. Mm. But... Mm. Oh my God! Yeah, I can only imagine. So, so anyway, that what I would say then the savings grace to all this is that um, then you get to work with the judges, and judges are um, prosecutors or defense attorneys that have um, expanded their life. Mm-hmm. But now they're not in a place. They're not in a place where they have to win. They're actually in a place where they get to judge and look for the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when you start talking to them about this is what you've got on the stand and this one is different from that one and this one, you know, and and there need to be boundaries here. So this was your role? Yeah, that was my role. Wow. So you spoke with judges about individual children mm-hmm. before they were going to be in court. Right. Wow. And if they ever got to court. So a lot of my work in school was to, um, I spent a lot of time trying to understand why certain cases or most cases involving a young child um, couldn't involve the child giving testimony in a separate room. But there is, you know, everyone is gets to face their accuser. And that is a law. Wow. Yeah, and um, and that one is usually what gets, what is what allows a child to end up back in front of in a courtroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are sometimes, on the other hand, where mm-hmm. and I I'm sort of desperately thinking as we're talking. Yeah. Those moments when a child is allowed to testify off cam on camera in from a different room. Mm. Um, Nothing's coming to me. So well, because I never had it happen. Okay. You know? I mean, what, I never had it in my. Do you have um like a. A specific. Court case that you remember where, you know, like a child you knew, that you had worked with just like shut down or, what was that like a reoccurring thing or or was it to the point where they were being like manipulated to say a certain thing like. I'm just wondering, like, what what's the most common? Or um, it depends on age group. Mm-hmm. The younger ones get confused, mm-hmm. 
part of being a young child is you know, saying what you think others want to hear. Yeah. And it's that is not an unhealthy mind. That is being four. Mm-hmm. Um, which then creates all kinds of challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- a lot of times they they have lots of video from the interview that they've had with that organization that interviews kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I could remember what it's called in Lane County. Um, and then there's they have video from or the de- a deposition mm-hmm. from when um, the judge can interview the child, mm. and that's always I, that's a preferred one. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you know the judge has information, and um, but you know it's an adversarial arena. Mm-hmm. Being in court is an yeah. adversarial arena, and it's not an easy arena for a child of any age when they get older and. It's terrifying to me to even think about being in court. Yeah, you know, me like, too. Like anybody, yeah, it's scary. Yeah, I show up there with all my statistics. <laughs> Scared to death. Yeah, um, yeah, and you get challenged, and if you're not feeling solid, which frequently you're not, because your life has been so traumatized. Yeah. Um. And I mean, oftentimes, is this to dictate which parent they're going to, or like this is hopefully to charge the assaulting parents with something, right? But you know, even I mean, what's really interesting about trauma and family is that oftentimes, like if you've been abused, you still love that your parent. Oh, of you course know? you do. And so that is like, that is, I can only, you know, I can only imagine because, you know, the, the, the guilty party is still your biological mother or father, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's, you're literally looking at, you know, you're, you're part of a decision that's being made outside of your family. I just, I can't even imagine that. Well... Thankfully, the little ones can't process that. Yeah. You know, they don't really... They may later, or as they're not going with one or the other parents, Mm -hmm. they're like, where's that one going? Mm -hmm. And that's trauma. Yeah. Um, But they don't... It's not a motivation for their testimony. Okay. Let's put it that way. Okay. And... And Until you're about nine, and then you might understand. Eight. Eight. Yeah, eight. Developmentally, you would, yeah. you would start to understand that what you're saying will have a big impact. Yeah, and that, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. <laughs> but, you know, when you're six and seven, and you're thinking, what, you know, what did I just say? Mm-hmm. You know, um, the weight of the world can it, it can feel like it's on their shoulders. Mm. Um, so that's the other side. You know, if you are the prosecution, you need to be saying things like, you know, this, is, this isn't this is something you've created. 
Mm. Or you need to be ha- you need to have somebody in your office who is saying that. Yeah. And that would be in Lane County, Deschutes County, hopefully every county in the United States, yeah. a victim's advocate. A victim's advocate. And that person is aware of the law and has compassion and can say, this isn't something that you brought on. Um, they also have some training in that. Mm. Um, they don't necessarily have to have um, a degree in that, but, you know. You have training in victim's advocacy. I do. Yes. Yeah, it's a really hard position to be in. Um, and it's that place where that voice really resonates. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, can you, t- can you tell us a story? Here's the research. Can you tell us a story about that? I mean, like a victim's advocacy. Oh, yeah. Um, was, I was hired by a child attorney. Um, this is an attorney that represents children for whatever reason that they are brought into the system. Um, it was a consortium over there. They did everything from kids who um, had broken the law, had um, experienced domestic violence, um, um, or even so much as um, the court was considering removing them from a home or sending them back to a home or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of these interviews. Um, so I was, uh, I had, it was a family mm-hmm. of three kids who had been taken from their mom. Mm-hmm. Their dad was pretty much out of the picture, but mm-hmm. around. And they were in a foster home. I walked into this foster home and there was animal feces on the floor. Mm. Dirty dishes stacked to the ceiling. It smelled. Mm. And the caseworker was just walking out as I was coming in. Oh okay. My God. And I'm thinking, first thing that goes through my mind is, who approved this family as a foster home? That's outrageous. Then, I, uh, the oldest boy is um, a high school boy. He is so buttoned up, it's unbelievable. The second um, child is a, a middle school girl. And she's not only bundled up, but she's so filled with anger. And the third one is a little um, elementary school girl, and she she still has hope. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have to interview each of them separately. Mm-hmm. No influencing each other. And that's okay. I don't mind that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but the foster parent wants to be there. I'm like, mm, doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't work that way. We're trying to we're trying to assess these children's feelings about their bio mom and you know and anyway it takes me six months to finally get through to the older boy and I 
I got permission to sort of think outside the box on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, These I, are weekly visits? No, monthly. Monthly. Oof, drag it out. Yeah. Um, the court system has a system, and so it's monthly. Mm. If there was some as determined by them, Mm -hmm. emergency, that would be changed. So again, I walk in this first time and I'm like, who approved these people as foster home? Um, I'm going to stick with that. I'll get to the other part later. Mm -hmm. I I leave there (laughs) after I've talked with each one and I have sort of a sense of what I'm going to need to do with them. And I... I get on the phone and I call the attorney and this is what I literally said who the fuck approved this house Mm. let me tell you what I just saw these kids would be safer on the street cleaner if nothing else yeah the attorney's like oh I was like you know the next interview is not happening in that location yeah I, I don't care if I interview them in the park. Mm. It is so oppressive. Mm. Well, it took me six months to get through to the older boy, and I, once again, I, um, you know, I can't, not allowed to transport them, so you'd have to walk across the street to the park type thing, because mm-hmm. um, of liability. And, and for my own personal ethical safety, mm-hmm. And I'll tell you more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and one day, so I'm talking with him. I said, what motivates you? I am having such a hard time. I'm not seeing any passion. What motivates you? Mm-hmm. His grades are dropping. And he says, what do you mean? What motivates me? And I said, what makes you want to get up in the morning? Mm-hmm. And he and I'm you know I'm I'm actually saying it just as you hear this. Yeah. I am. I I'm getting nothing from this boy. Right. And I can't watch him get any more hollow. Yeah. And he says, "Well, I like football." I'm like, "You like football? Okay, great. <laughs> okay." And he said, and I said. Do you like it enough to want to go to college and play? He said, yeah. I'd like to play college ball. I'd like to play pro ball. Mm. I said, okay. All right. <laughs> and so we're, now we're getting someplace. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what position would you play? And do you play at high school? He said, they're going to kick me off the team because of my grades. Mm. Okay. Let's get you a tutor. Let's work on this. Yes, let's get you a tutor. Mm-hmm. Let's get those grades in line. I will, I talked to the attorney. I said, let's go talk to whoever. I mean, you want me to go there? I'll do it. You want to go there? I need some info. I need, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's what happens with that one. And, and that's a seed for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it gets better. That's a good seed. Mm-hmm. With the... The middle girl, she starts to tell me, so it also turns out that there is another foster non-family member of this trio of kids, other foster boy in there, and he's 18, and you 
you outgrow the foster system at age 18. He's 19, actually, mm -hmm. and I don't know why he's still there. Mm. And so I start, I put the question there, but in the middle of all of this, somewhere around three or fourth visit there, the middle girl tells me that he's peeking in at her when she's in the bathroom. Mm. And I'm like, we got to get these kids out of here. Yeah. I'm telling you, somebody, we, we got to go to court, you guys. We, we have to go to court. Get a court date. Yeah. Why is it delayed? Why, why, what is that process? Because there's just so many? Or... Yeah, and there's, well, first of all, they'd like to keep the three together. There's no foster homes in Lane County, Deschutes County. It is the hardest place. Oregon is one of the hardest places to find foster homes. Really? They ship them out of state. Did you wow, know that? No. They I... do. No. Then we find out that they get abused out of state. Anyway. Oh, my God. Um, so, I said, we get a court date. Please get a court date. And, <clears throat> and I can actually be in the office with these attorneys the way I am with you. Mm -hmm. Because they know that I have some sense of the law. Right. Yeah. I'm not just this hysterical person, although by now I'm hysterical. Yeah. I have an incredible background in sexual assault mm -hmm. of girls. Mm. She needs to not be there. Yeah. We need to protect her, and the foster mom is saying she's making it up. Oh, my God. <sighs> Here comes the we don't believe them part. Oh. And I'm like, and the little one, She's going to lose hope. we got to move these kids. Yeah. And mom lives on the streets. She couch surfs. So oh. we can't... She's not a resource yet. Oh. And the little one just, you know... Everything's fine for her. She just... Everything's okay. Oh my God. And truthfully, she was still okay. Yeah. So... Um, I can't honestly say that I was sad to hear that the middle girl ran away mm. um, when she ran away, but she ran to Grandma's house, so I was very okay with that. Great, yeah. Why are they at Grandma's house? Um, because Grandma lives out of state. How old was they the little child? That's what... Uh, 12? Wow. Good for her. Yeah. She made it. Yeah. <laughs> In um, a way. I, well, what we learn is that, you know, mom has been helping her plan this, and that that was a no-no. Wow. You know, that really was a no-no. But she's safe. Um, we um, work it out to go and talk with grandma, and... Um, in the meantime, I've got the older boy, and I'm a UVO alum. Mm -hmm. I'm a former athlete. Mm -hmm. I get a hold of somebody at the University of Oregon, and I say, is there any way, this is what I do, is there any way that this boy that I'm working with can meet your star linebacker mm. and they say and the they get they say oh you know we have this special program and I was like you do 
Huh. I said, you know, it's not known that you have this program because there are lots of kids in this community that would love would benefit from this. And they yeah. said, well, let me get back to you. And what ends up, the, the, and the end is, I can't drive him to the U of O. Mm-hmm. I put him on a bus. Nice. I drive behind the bus. <laughs> <laughs> we get to Autzen Stadium. He gets off the bus. I get off out of my car. Mm-hmm. And I introduce the two of them. I have met him. I tell him what's going on. I introduce the two of them, and I watch them throw the ball and play and tackle mm-hmm. for an hour. And it becomes a weekly thing with him. <sighs> wow. That's amazing. He makes the decision for himself to go live with grandma Mm -hmm. in California and go to school there um, because his father's close by and keep his grades up, play on football, and hopefully, you know, get on a college team. Nice. And so when I left, um, oh, and that family... Um, were disenfranchised. They were no longer a foster home. Very nice. It was a win-win. Wow. Because the moment we took them out of that home, they would have filled it, except oh, thank I God. took photos. I <laughs> started taking photos. Thank God. And I, and I remember saying, in, at a, so what happens with these families in this particular situ, in these types of situations mm-hmm. is that they have a meeting. They have this core group, um, uh, therapists and um, the caseworker and the attorney. And in my case, since I was the, the forensic interviewer, the interviewer, and they all talk. <laughs> and it was probably the only time with this case that I was cool and collected. Mm-hmm. And I said, I mean, seriously. Look at this. This is this is where these kids live. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, the foster parent get to be got to be there. I said this is where they live. And even if you don't believe this twelve year old that she's being peeked in, it needs to be investigated as to why this nineteen year old is even in the household. Yeah, that is really weird. He should not be there. He should have graduated out of the foster program. Yeah. So there's a lot of unanswered questions here Hmm. that I believe are putting this core these core three kids in danger Mm -hmm. and Daphne went to court with that nice and got approval for the boy to leave the state Mm mm-hmm because you know, mom was still here couch surfing mm-hmm. um, and struggling to be clean. Yeah. Um, nice lady, I have to say. Uh, you know, I when her when she wasn't high, mm-hmm. I'm sure she was an incredible woman. But yeah. She was always high. Mm-hmm. You know, she would show up for time with her kids and. Mm. And not be held together. And, you know, and of course the little one just loved her. And she she was still there. You know, she was still at that little age. And, yeah. But that's that's an example of the stuff that happens. And these kids just, you know, they get 
they lived down the street for a while, but they, you know, they watched their mom do drugs and have men and, mm -hmm. I mean, it, not a good thing. That's amazing. Yeah, not good. Um, there was some uh, concern mm -hmm. that prior to those children having been removed, that mom may have offered up her daughter. Mm. Um, I honestly can't tell you if that happened. It didn't come out in any interview. I never saw any paperwork that indicated that there was an exam done, a physical exam. Mm -hmm. uh, I would be surprised in Lane County if they hadn't done a physical exam to see mm -hmm. if that might have happened. But yeah. that was one of the reasons for removing wow. the kids. That's un so, yeah, so I guess, so as a trauma specialist, like, how do you even, how do you describe, how do you put trauma in a box? Or how do you put words, you know, like, what is Boy. trauma? Do you think everyone, every human has trauma? And then, like, the spectrum, or... Well, every human that is alive today, mm -hmm. yes, has experienced some trauma. Yeah. It's just in the world today it's I don't see how you avoid it. Yeah. Whether it's bullying or something that you will truly understand uh, some births are traumatic. Yeah. And there are going to be those people out there who will argue with this statement but they know. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, they know. Yeah. It's it's traumatic and. Oh God. There's yeah. there there may be that MDU says that's there's no scientific evidence, and I would argue there is. I I mean I could start telling you the names of some MDs who have followed up on this kind of thing, but mm -hmm. you know um, I was a side breach. Mm -hmm. Why they didn't why they didn't do a cesarean for me, who will, I will know except except that I was tiny. Yeah. So it ended up being okay, mm -hmm. but that's traumatic. Mm -hmm. You know, they're yanking on you. Come on. Oh, yeah. And you're sideways, and you're not coming. Yeah. And, you know, so. Totally. And then, and there's trauma that's not intended. You right. know, not all trauma is inflicted with the intention of hurting somebody. Totally. It. It just, it happens. Mm -hmm. um, so you would say, like, trauma is, is really a natural part of life. It is. Yeah. And yes. so it's like an, our journey to overcome trauma. and. I think that overcome might not be a word that I would use. Mm -hmm. I think that I would describe it better as understanding our trauma mm -hmm. and working with it. Yeah. Um, I don't think we can undo the trauma. Definitely not. Um, Work through it. Right. Yeah. You know, and so I have this favorite thing that I do for myself. Mm -hmm. 
Um, because I was, am, so sensitive, mm -hmm. things bother me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that is sometimes traumatic. Mm -hmm. um, I... I didn't learn till late in life to shut off. Mm -hmm. So I got bombarded with all this stuff. And I was, I was in a field that was traumatic. Right. Hence the continuation of running. Right. But, um, <laughs> it's a great way to process. Yeah. Um, so every now and then, those things in my life that were challenging for me at the time of the event it was traumatic mm -hmm. as I went through life it is a challenge for me mm -hmm. when it comes up I go oh you again uh -huh. I recognize you yeah okay let's how are we gonna do this and sometimes I do it with tears in my eyes mm -hmm. you know like when I talk about Danny Stanley for sure when I talk about Danny yeah it's never going to go away, what I saw. Never. And it's never going to feel wrong. Mm -hmm. And, okay. Mm -hmm. Deep breath. Okay, how are we going to deal with this? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, understanding, and, I think that is a really beautiful way of saying it. Yeah. It's, and getting creative. Mm -hmm. Getting creative because, you know, you know, what worked last year may not work this mm -hmm. year based on what I experienced in this last year. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's really, if we could teach people to accept themselves, mm -hmm. love who they are and where they are, mm -hmm. know that they will get better. Mm -hmm. They can be a better person than they are today. It's, they don't have to make that choice, but it is a choice. Mm -hmm. And your ducks are never all going to be in a row. Right. One of them always wanders off. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, that's life. Yeah, and mm -hmm. it's okay. So um, that was the other thing. I think one time in a, in a seminar um, I was giving, and I gave the ducks in a row thing, and it was like all the heads just nodded. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, it's kind of like you think all the dishes are going to be clean. And then you're like, but I'm thirsty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have to get a glass out of the cabinet. Oh, no, all the dishes are not going to be clean. Uh -huh. and, and you go, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's how it goes. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't. And it's okay. And it's okay. It's okay. And it's, I say this at this moment, like, I don't have moments when the duck wanders off and I'm not panicked. Mm -hmm. I get panicked. Mm -hmm. and, and I say, and it may take me, it, it may take me a day to recover. Yeah. Um, and go, oh yeah, it's you. <laughs> I recognize this button. Mm -hmm. And I have many. Yeah. And I'm okay. Yeah. So when I work with kids, 
whether it's being a nanny, mm -hmm. whether it's being a victim's advocate, mm -hmm. whether it's being a psychologist, I see that person who is okay. Yeah. That's the first thing I see. Yeah. I don't have to work at it. Mm-hmm. And it's my goal, my hope, that they get there too. Yeah. And the work could be hard. Yeah. But I believe they can do it. Right. So, like, and what you're basically saying is that, like, we're all strong enough to we be are. okay. We are. Like we all are strong are. enough to and overcome. I, you know, I'm going to make another controversial statement here. And you may get some backlash for this one, but... I love it. <laughs> I do not promote or condone suicide, but I get it. Yeah. I get it. When you... When a person has found themselves in that place where they can't see the way out, mm -hmm. you and I may believe or even be able to see a way out for them, mm -hmm. but if they can't do it, I get why they make that choice. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. I don't think it has to be the choice. Mm -hmm. I think there's always multiple choices in front of you. Yeah. But when you can't see it, you can't see it. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot, I mean, I think there's probably a lot of people who... Um, you know, who have felt close to suicide or yes. thought about it. I mean, I've thought about it. And I'm, I, you know, I'm, the spectrum of sanity is something. But I think it there's also like a liberation in just admitting it and feeling, you know, again, I've said permission multiple times in our conversation. If you feel comfortable enough with someone to tell them the truth and tell them that you have, you know, faced that fear or thought about, you know, and for them to not judge you... Yeah. And to not just be like, well, clearly looks like you need to be on this medication and you're, you know, we need to be on watch and da da da, da. You know, it's all of that that is, you know, then there's more fear. Then there's more self-judgment. Then there's more, there's something wrong with me. Then yes. there's more, then you're closer and closer to that, you know, to, well, I guess I'm unfixable. Yeah. And, and this is never going to be different. Right. You know, trilogy, helpless, hopeless, copeless. Hmm. When they finally get to, there's no hope. Mm -hmm. It's never going to be different. Mm -hmm. Is when I've experienced people who are right there. Mm -hmm. And that's when, you know, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're up today. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about why. Yeah. There is a thread. There's always a thread. Yeah. And I too have been at that brink yeah you know i have been at that brink mm -hmm. and said why am i awake you mm -hmm. know why and then i said 
you know, that's too big a question to answer, so I'm calling my friend. Yeah. Yeah. And we can't do it alone. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's... I think it's community, I think it's, you know, when you feel, I think it's that isolation feeling, you know, when you feel so alone, that's when it's over. Yeah. You know, and so, like, reaching out to whatever other living, breathing thing, you know, I mean, we need each other, Mm -hmm. you know, like, we are not anything without each other, and... That's another reason, I mean, why I felt so close to you. I mean, we had moved out west, you know, with no family, no nothing, and, you know, a brand new baby on the way, and, and, um... That yeah. must have been a challenge. I, I think about that sometimes. I think, yeah. how did she do that? <laughs> and would I have made those, could I, not would I, yeah. could I have made those choices and yeah, been okay? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, clearly, I've come through lots of things. Totally. Um, you know, could I do that? <laughs> Just had baby come in. Yay. Um, speaking of babies. Speaking of babies, I know. Well, Here's what I think. I think it's um I think it's the two hour marker and I think we're just gonna call that Mel- Melissa and Rain Part One. Sounds good. Because I think we have we could talk forever. I think we <laughs> I know we could. I know we could and we will, but thank you, thank you, Melissa. I want to apologize to your <gasps> listeners for oh my, my sniffles. Some of this I just can't do without tears. Don't apologize. It's so real. I know. Well, uh, yeah, just to make clarity, we've both had tears in our eyes the whole time. So uh, just a tribute to how real it is. But, yeah, we hear uh, little Wolfie in the background and little Mickey and and Daddy's back. So um, thanks for listening, and thank you, Melissa. You're very welcome. Until next time. Yeah. Super powerful and... Deeply moving that conversation with Melissa. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to um, next week's episode with Kristen Hendricks, another good friend of mine, um, and her empowering birth stories, uh, both hospital births, but natural ones where she birthed in power. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned in for next week, and thanks so much for tuning in today.